Welcome, welcome to episode number 64 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We have an amazing lineup of things to talk to you today. Why would you doubt? Absolutely. The latest and greatest in internet marketing every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast slash iTunes slash Stitcher. That's not a URL, but that's where you can also find it. (laughs) Where you should also (laughs) leave a rating as well. Ratings and reviews on everything. Talk to your friends about us, lovers. We are recording this on a Friday evening before we drop the episode. So it's it's happy hour right now. So Corey, what are you drinking for happy hour this Friday afternoon? Well, it's a beer and marketers staple. We're both doing Moscow Mules. So delicious. Vodka, lime. We don't do the simple syrup because we don't need that. No. And Gosling's ginger beer. Key ingredient. Absolutely. Don't let anyone else tell you other lies about other ginger beers, Gosling's. Do it. Key ingredient, also the bartender who makes it. And these are delicious because I made both of them. Thank you. Thank you for the shout out. I appreciate you giving me credit on that. Run us down the topics. What are we talking about today? I think we had some good ones. It's going to be action packed. So first topic we're going to be tackling ways to show shipping options to customers. How do you need to do that? That makes the most sense, but also is most clear to your visitors. And also least pisses me off. Okay. Well, that's most important. Next topic, we're going to roll into skills of the modern marketers. We'll keep that kind of vague and leave the juicy bits for Rob to impart his wisdom to us. Moving right along to, I don't know if many people have been paying attention to the new iOS changes, but there is one particular change that I wanted to give a shout out to that might have some influential changes in the e-commerce space that we need to be aware of. It's going to revolutionize the world. Rob's excited if you haven't. I'm I'm putting it out there. Then we're going to go into Rob's rant corner. He's already starting to get a little red. He's he's had a few drinks. So rolling right along into our Google corner, it wouldn't be an episode without that. And the last topic that I'm going to spend some time on was actually a very good blog post by Crazy Egg this week that was talking about breaking the rules on online marketing and testing. And we'll get more into that at the end. First things first, shipping options. Rob, how do we not make you angry when you go to our sites and we're shipping you something other than we need to ship that immediately when you buy it? Okay, so this is a blog post by eConsultancy. They've done some research. 77% of online shoppers have abandoned their baskets in the past year. 53% of those are citing unacceptably high delivery costs as the main reason for that. So that being the premise, they did some research on what are some ways that you can present delivery options to customers What are some examples of companies that probably do it well? What are some unique ways that you can maybe do it? So I'm just going to run through a few of them. They have 12 listed here. Obviously, we'll tweet out the link so you can look at all of them and get screenshots because that's maybe the best way to look at some of this. But we'll talk through a few of them. First one they have is Amazon, which, I mean, that's the vanguard in my opinion. I love the way that Amazon does shipping. They do it in a very clear way where you go to their website and if it's close to the end of the shipping day for them or that specific product, because it actually changes by product, you know, depending on which warehouse it's in, they'll tell you how many hours you have left to order that particular product for it to ship the same day. Mm -hmm. If it's through Amazon, I think is the limitation there. Mm -hmm. Um, They're fulfilling it apparently. Right, exactly. So they also have other options too. Like, so for example, if you're a Prime member, they'll tell you, you know, obviously this is free shipping and you'll get it order within the next three hours to get it Wednesday for free shipping, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the, I think, one of their phrasing. They actually have a few different variations of that, but I think Amazon is very good in that it, number one, tells you how many hours you have left to order, same day. Two, it tells you an estimate of when you'll get it. 
so those are two key things. Those are, and obviously the free shipping part too, which is for most am, items on Amazon at this point. I did want to also talk about, so that's on their product pages. So once you actually get inside their cart though, they have a sort of more in-depth explanation of their shipping options that goes into things like, okay, free, whatever, X-day shipping. I think what makes them stand out from a lot of other people is that they include a few different ways to describe the day in which you could receive it, Correct. if that makes sense. So they'll say things like, get it tomorrow, Monday, June, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. So it really helps explain things to you because someone like me who pays no attention to what date it is, I have no idea. Sometimes I lose track of days. Telling me tomorrow is the keyword I'm looking for there. Whereas some people, you know, have schedules that are very fixed and know that Tuesdays are a landmark for them. So mm -hmm. Tuesdays and days and dates, obviously. So actually having those three different things on there is important to some people. Finally, they have a few options depending on where you are in the country. So for example, New York people can order things same day. What? So they'll tell you time frame, time windows right. as well mm -hmm. uh, for ordering things. So that's Amazon. I think we talked enough about them. I think everyone is well aware now at this point that I love everything Amazon does. But I don't really like their checkout process, to be honest. I think it's a little janky in some portions. But particularly, I think why they get away with it is because they are up front with shipping on the product pages. Whereas a lot of sites leave that information out. And they tried to do that on some of the earlier steps, whereas Amazon is more clear on the product pages. And then they bring in that information back on the final step where you can select your shipping options. But I do feel like as a new person coming to Amazon, their cart might not necessarily be the best example of how to treat a new customer. Like Obviously, once you're in the Amazon ecosystem, it's pretty easy. But their cart definitely has some things that I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but they have the name and the branding. So I would agree. I, I don't think that their cart in and of itself is very good. I think their order review pages are probably pretty optimized. Mm -hmm. But I'll say this, I don't ever see them anymore because I just do the one-click ordering thing, which right. is a gamble. You better know what you're doing when you click that because you, <laughs> you place the order. Sure. All right, so that's Amazon. A couple other things I wanted to talk about. One is oftentimes people buy things online now that you maybe never even considered buying online in the past. So maybe furniture, appliances, massive things that I need to work my schedule around to be prepared to receive the shipment, mm -hmm. right? So a few sites do this where they will have flexible shipping options that allow you to pull up a calendar and say, I want it delivered on X date. Not everyone does this surprisingly at this point in time. I mean, I remember I ordered a couch recently from West Elm and there were no options really for that. It was we're like delivering it now. You, you order it and then they call you and you have to deal with all of this talking on the phone and they're looking things up. What are the options? This should all be done online. I love the concept of, you know, you pull up a calendar, they have time windows available and you can pick the one and it's all done feel really comfortable I know exactly when I'm getting it and I can really schedule. you can schedule yourself around it exactly you know I have to be there when the couch comes mm -hmm. so they can set it up one other concept I wanted to mention before we move on to other things about shipping is you know oftentimes I think Amazon even does this now I'm a prime member so I don't really see it but you get free shipping after a certain threshold mm -hmm. right so free shipping on orders over $50 or whatever it is a lot of companies will say these things but then not reinforce them in the carts themselves or on the product pages. So, mm -hmm. for example, one way you could do it on a product page, if your threshold is $50 and the product is $40, say, order this product, spend an extra 10 and get free shipping, right. right? I mean, that's one way you could do that. Another way is inside the shop reminding people, or inside the cart reminding people, again, that they're very close to the threshold 
one interesting way that the example they have here on e-consultancy is a a brewing company of some kind where you can order beer online. And so they have a it's beer bottle up. that's half full or whatever, mm-hmm. how close you are to the, th- the shipping threshold. So that's a unique way of showing it. But I think the concept is valid. I think that they're only going halfway, though, in mm-hmm. that, you know, I've done some testing around shipping cutoffs, and there's definitely some interesting things to be had there. One company that I think does a pretty good job of this is bodybuilding.com. So they give you actually you are X dollars away from free shipping. So they kind of word it differently. But I think what a lot of companies miss out on, and I think a lot of it stems from maybe they don't have the business intelligence or the technology to do so is that's great that you are telling me how far I am away from a threshold. But what that means for a customer is now go find something Mm -hmm. that will put you over. And I find that very few places, and maybe they just find that it's not very reliable, but they don't have good suggestions to help you get over those cutoffs in a very relevant fashion directly on this page. So looking at your BrewDog example, it's great that I'm $10 away. Well, what's something that I can add to my cart that's relevant to help me push over instead of now, now I feel like I've been cheated. Like you've, you've dangled this carrot in front of me. Like I get this free shipping if I spend $10 more, but now I got to go hunt and find something. And then if I don't find something, now I might be reluctant to actually buy the first thing that I added to my cart because it's like, well, I don't get free shipping now. This is, maybe I should go somewhere else and look. So I think that if you do work around cutoffs and and free shipping windows that you need to play around with does that actually help do people actually care about that or is it more that they care about timely shipping if you are going to put some very graphical or some wording around you are x amount away from it maybe you need to contract with someone to provide you good recommendations to help people go over those cutoffs Mm -hmm. in a very optimized but quick fashion where you're not relying on them to hop back into a catalog and go and and search for something to get you over. Yeah, I think it was a really good point you, you just brought up, which is that, okay, I am say I bought this $40 item, I'm $10 away, I can't easily find something I want to spend $10 on, so I say, oh, I'll figure it out tomorrow, and then mm-hmm. you completely forget and you, you never buy what you originally intended to buy. Exactly. To your point, though, you know, with suggesting things, that's a genius way to suggest a high-margin, low-cost thing in the cart there and get people over that hump and, mm-hmm. and make some extra money and, like and close the sale. it's like a t-shirt or something like that yeah. where you're spending... Some little know. trinket, whatever oh, the heck. You know, in the terms of like Amazon recommended things, so wires that go with whatever it is mm-hmm. or batteries. or I mean, everyone can buy more batteries, right? right? I mean, I don't want to go through, again, all 12 that are on there. We'll tweet it out. I think those were three or four. I can't remember how many we talked about. Uh, relevant ones that are important for shipping. They have a few examples that where people like display every single shipping option they have. So this is one last one that I'll sort of briefly mention. I would highly suggest not doing something like that. Mm-hmm. So they have a couple examples where there's like six different carrier types and different options. They're all right. displayed in one place and the prices are with them. That's way too confusing. I got no idea what's going on. You need to have three options, you know, mm-hmm. standard, express, insane overnight delivery. I mean, keep it simple. I think one of the reasons why people go down that road is they feel that let me show all the options in case someone hates like UPS or FedEx or something like that. So let's show all of them. So if anyone has any beef with these shipping carriers, well, I have like another alternative. But the problem is, like you said, you're kind of overloaded on choice. And maybe you don't even need to talk about the carrier at all. That's what I was just going to say. Forgo the choice. I don't need to know who's shipping it. Just tell me the time slot. 
and maybe you give them a surprise later on, like, yes, this is actually coming through UPS. But I think that that's actually what drives a lot of that. Let's enable the customer to have choice because maybe they hate UPS. Well, why, why even tell them in the beginning? Just tell mm -hmm. them when they're going to get it and handle the shipping carrier communication later on. But you want to be careful of how many options you're enabling people because, again, it goes back to how much cognitive load is going to go on in this person's mind. They're trying to give you money. They're trying to check out. This is just like one extra thing I need to like sit. Now I have like 10 different shipping options. What do I want here? Uh, well, the boss just called me into a meeting and now I'm on to something else and I might just don't have time to check out. So make it as seamless as possible. Sometimes more is actually detrimental to the process. So watch that kind of stuff. Moving on, I think that's enough about shipping. This one I'm not going to spend too much time on, but maybe going to try to play a game. I don't know how this is going to play out. This might be too... I'm going to win. Too, too difficult for you. So this is another one from eConsultancy. The title of this one is 15 Essential Skills for Modern Marketers. So this is a report where they went out and uh, polled a bunch of senior level marketers and asked the question of what are the top five skills or whatever that you think are necessary for effective, successful marketers in this day and age. And I, it doesn't say, but I would assume that this is limited to internet marketers, just judging by some of the results. So they broke it down into three categories. One is soft skills. Are you looking at this right now? I'm not. Okay, I'm not you better cheating. not be cheating. Uh, one is soft skills. Two is broad skills. And three is vertical skills. So if you were to guess, I'll, I'll give you, you just have to guess one of the five that they have on here. What would be, actually, I'll give you two guesses. Okay. As long as one is on the five, you win the game and you win the grand prize. Yes. Which Eternal I don't I don't know glory. what it is exactly. <laughs> All right, so for vertical skills, what are two things that you think are very important skills? I mean, these are pretty specific skills that internet marketers need to have these days to be successful. Why don't you give me one of the five? For a second, I give right. away too much. Of I, it. It'll it'll probably give it away, but one is this is probably the worst on here. Community management. I mean, I guess that means like managing a blog or a yeah, forum yeah, or something yeah. like that. So, what are two other skills that are very important? traffic channel management and traffic channel reporting and reputation management okay i could probably fit both of those into one of the responses so yeah, web web analytics is one okay. so i mean that's sort of you are uh -huh. more specific in nature and your other one was reputation management they have social media which is i guess fits in there again you are more specific so the top five vertical skills they have on here are mobile content Web, so these are a lot broader than I, maybe you were probably thinking. Mobile content, web analytics slash data, social media, and community management. I think it is kind of weird that they were kind of specific on, for example, social media, community management. Those seem awfully similar to me, as well as those both feed into content. So it's an interesting thing. Broad skills, though. Top five broad skills. Customer experience. Data, again, shows up in, in broad skills. Multi-channel, technology, and strategy. Hmm. These are very broad yeah, in a way. Very uh, broad. Obviously under the broad skills category. Sure. Soft skills, though, these are what are required to be great marketers in these day and age, and then we'll move on. Okay. Adaptable, passionate. We have the passion on this podcast. I feel like this, this podcast, is those um, cheesy right. posters that you see in the break room. This is sort of tongue-in-cheek. I don't know if you've noticed <laughs> the way I've been reporting this. Uh, so adaptable, passionate, inquisitive, open, and collaborative. Interesting. <laughs> Outside of the vertical skills, they all seem like a just random pick of different things that people would like to think that they are. Right. right. 
One thing I think that's actually missing from that group that I, I think I might have brought up on this podcast multiple times is understanding psychology. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can umbrella that into a couple of those things. But at the end of the day, marketing is understanding the psychology of the customer and why they're looking for things, the the paths that they take to arrive there, what goes into making those decisions, things like that. So if you're a marketer and you're looking for ways to invest your time, I would recommend a couple. One is spending some time understanding data like Rob was talking about. Two, picking up some psychology, looking at some classes on there online, reading some books on the nature of purchase decisions, things like that. And I would say the third would be picking up some very base level developer skills, understanding how the internet works, how websites work, how do technologies communicate with one another. And then I think you'll understand how some of these frontier marketing platforms and channels that you are available to go out and get people actually work. And then you can optimize your campaigns, understanding not just your customers, but how are these technologies actually working to then reach said customers and how is that delivery vehicle working? And maybe you can also audit people that you're paying to do a certain job and know if they're giving you bullshit or not. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. Uh, Two other things I wanted to mention. So that the sort of lists of skills were kind of broad and generalized and seemed kind of BSE, but there's a couple takeaways that they also mentioned in this article. So they said the most important soft skill was adaptability, mm-hmm. which I think is absolutely Completely key true. in internet mm-hmm. marketers. I mean, you have to be able to sort of, to your point, know what's going on in a bunch of different, you have to have Where, this multiple knowledge. Hats. Yeah, exactly. Three quarters of the respondents cited the ability to embrace change as very important to be an effective marketer. Absolutely. Again, with internet marketing, everything is changing. Every, that's why we do this podcast. I mean, literally every week, something pretty big and important is changing. And that's why we do this podcast. Finally, there's also, and they they don't like have a number to back this up, but specifically they mentioned that there has been a massive digital skills gap. So when they talk to some of these senior level marketers, they said one of their number one problems is trying to find marketers with real analytics skills and actual skills that apply directly to the jobs they're applying for. So I think oftentimes you find people trying to get jobs in internet marketing who have a marketing degree, maybe worked in marketing in some capacity, but do not have the skills necessary to immediately pick up, you know, open up GA and and figure something out. They've never done that before. They've never done a lot of the things that they're integral part of the jobs they're applying for. So I think part of that, and maybe we're getting a little bit too much on the soapbox, is just the gap in education. It just can't keep up. And so I feel like online marketing is kind of one of those frontiers where the educational processes cannot keep up. And so it takes a effort on the marketer standpoint to keep up with things, but also get your own experience. And Mm -hmm. I think that kids come out of college, get put in these situations where now I have a marketing degree, but what's taught in universities has not caught up or they can't give the practical experience yet into these kids. So they get out in the real world and these companies are looking to hire these youngsters that they think well you must know the internet you must know how all these things work and the the fact is that they still have old professors teaching them old methods and there's still that skills gap that has to be filled in with really on the job training at this point there's very Mm -hmm. few educational outlets that allow for that other than the self-starters that maybe have their own startups or friends in the industry or ones that are willing to spend some time on forums or blogs or things like that to get some experience so it'll be an interesting shift in the industry over the next couple of years as education can hopefully somewhat catch up. But I don't know. We do this podcast because things change so fast. Maybe that will just never be the case. It's just one of those 
rapidly moving frontiers that will always be in this type of situation. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was actually a small shout out to iOS. I don't know how many people stay involved with the developer conferences and things like that, but one of the small changes actually in the new iOS 8 that maybe slipped through the cracks with a few people, you know, there's a lot rolled out. I'm not an Apple iPhone user, but there are some interesting, (laughs) there were some interesting things that they rolled out. I mean, I feel like most of the gripes that Android people have with iOS are actually being addressed in this new rollout. So it'll be interesting to see the competition now that's there. But one of the specific things that I think might have some actual big impacts into the e-commerce space is now with iOS 8, there is an option there where, get this, buckle up. If you're not sitting down, you might want (laughs) to sit down because Rob's mind was blown. (laughs) You can take your credit card. You can take a picture. It will scan the image of the credit card. It will store that securely in the iPhone, securely in air quotes. So not only will it store that information, but when you're in Safari, it will actually pre-fill the credit card information directly on websites for you. Mind blown. One of the big complaints that a lot of people have in the mobile space is that the purchasing portion of mobile transactions can be a little bit difficult. You mm-hmm. know, I'm on this small device. I maybe have big thumbs or maybe not. And I'm trying to input on the small screen a lot of numbers. And that's why PayPal and other payment processors on mobile devices actually become pretty important. But Apple is actually looking to solve that type of problem with this new credit card feature that they're rolling out with iOS 8. So if you are in the e-commerce space, this is something actually to pay attention to. Again, Apple has a huge market share. So even if it's 20 or 30% of their users are taking advantage of that, can be a big portion of your traffic that you want to pay attention to, making sure that your website can take advantage of it. I'm sure there's going to be standards for form names and things like that that you need to pay attention to to take advantage of this new feature. Mm-hmm. But the ability to scan credit cards and pre-fill, wow. I think we already have this capability. You just have to manually enter all of your credit information into Correct. you know, Chrome profiles or Safari profiles or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So it's definitely a big leap in, in, the, in the right direction. I think maybe this may result in me making my first purchase on my phone that isn't through an app. Maybe it depends on how Apple rolls this out. Mm-hmm. If it's just secretly snuck into iOS, then I certainly believe that. But potentially, I don't know how Apple rolls out its new releases, but if they have a particular screen as the new iOS 8 opens up after you download it from iTunes and install it, that talks about this feature and maybe even prompts you to pull out a credit card and, and walk through this, that, that might be a game changer. I think it's really going to depend on how forthcoming or how visible Apple makes this new feature. But if you're in the e-commerce space, that new iOS 8 change, definitely something to keep on the radar. Make sure I would pay attention to Apple's press about that. Because like I said, there's probably going to be some developer information that's released on standards where your forms have to fit into their certain criteria for it to recognize and use that feature. But it's definitely something to keep on the radar. Moving right along, Rob's going to This is my minor rant corner. Rob's going to (laughs) definitely vent some of the frustrations that he's had over the last couple weeks. And if you are one of the vendors, then you might want to take note because Rob is definitely not in the minority. Start start the stopwatch. I don't want to go for more than 60 seconds on this rant. Obviously, every week we look for new content. We what's the latest, greatest stuff out there? There was a huge article on a site I don't want to mention. You know, talking about the amazing benefits of doing these on visit. HTML layover, modal window, pop-up slash, whatever you people call them. And they are the most annoying thing that I can possibly, 
Imagine there are some sites that do them every single time Page. that I go to them. I think marketingland.com might actually be one of the offenders <laughs> who always has a pop to show me as I get there. Come on, guys. This is ridiculously annoying. Yes, you may be getting email newsletter signups, but at what cost? Well, and at what's what the cost? quality? Right. Too, as well. I mean, it's not only a frustrating experience, but again, you know, like, what is the quality of information that people are inputting as well? But like you said, what's the brand cost to that of just yeah. having an extremely annoying experience? I'm going to break my own rule because this is going to go beyond 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there's, there's one other thing, which is this is like a side note on this, but it's like, you know, just because we have analytics, just because we can get more email newsletter signups, and maybe it doesn't hurt a lot of other aspects of our business, where do we draw the line of just trying to get more and more. I mean, at some point we have to say, okay, we're not going to be that annoying. Right. We're not going to do that to our users. I mm -hmm. mean, isn't isn't there a point at which, you know, a business has to say that? I mean, we'll never do something like that on the Bearded Marketers. I'm not going to throw pop-ups in front of people's faces, right. even if it triples our email newsletter list. Well, yeah, again, I think it goes back to a lot of people run tests and they someone might initiate a pop-up and install it on their site and go, holy shit, we have... 200% more email signups, that's a win. Yeah. But they don't take the steps to actually understand, well, what's now the unsubscribe rate of that email list or what's the deliverability rate or actually how many of those are real addresses that we captured. And I think it's just really a measure to our points earlier, the infancy of potentially this industry in that we're trying things that potentially work on surface level. We're getting more email captures because people are trying to get to this content, but it doesn't actually mean that we're growing the business. And potentially, as you mentioned, we're frustrating users as well. And really what it is is to supplement the lack of generating quality content for people to actually want to interact with us, subscribe to our newsletters and things like that. I don't mean that necessarily we need to move away from making it available for people to subscribe to our newsletters or whatever it might be. But there is a balance to be had there between over-marketing and bridging into straight annoying, and yeah. I don't want to go to your site, and making that information available for people that want to interact with us. So I think that that's just really the nature of the beast in an industry that still has a little bit of growing up to do. Yeah. I think that's enough on that aspect. Rolling in, we're short on time, but we wanted to check in on our friends at Mountain View. Google, yep. what are they up to? This week, they actually rolled out Payday Loan 3.0, I believe, is the version that we're at now. Really, it was an SEO update to continue to clean up the search engine results for probably not a lot of our listeners, but people that work in spaces that are very strong in the affiliate marketing space, things like pharmaceuticals, casinos, where scam tactics are probably a little bit more prevalent than other verticals. Ubiquitous is what <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yes, that's a good word. It's a good word to use. They're, again, trying to clean up that industry a little bit more. Um, there's been some interesting feedback to that. Potentially, they're cleaning up a little bit too much and that people that are actually looking for those services expect some of those scammy results and maybe aren't expecting a Wikipedia entry to be top now instead. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Also, if you've ever gotten a Google penalty, potentially your site has been de-indexed or things like that, there is this aspect of reconsideration where you get down on your knees and you plead to the Google gods to please let me back in for certain penalties, and that's called reconsideration. 
one of the releases that they've done recently was to add the ability for these quality assurance team members to add additional comments. So before in the past, sometimes it was a yes, no, Nero's thumb up or down if your right. site has been re- reconsidered or not. Now they are allowing the the team analysts, if they want to, to provide some more commentary. So if you are still not allowed back into Google land, what are some of the additional things that you need to fix? So those are some interesting things that I've rolled out from Mountain View. Pay attention to those things. They might, if you've noticed some shifts in your analytics lately, or you've been part of that reconsideration process, maybe you have some new hope there. The last item I'm going to talk about, and we're not going to spend too much time, is I wanted to give a shout out. You know, we do a podcast every week. No, we do. Which is tough sometimes because not a lot of people put out good content. And the fact of most of the stuff out there, and we understand because we're marketers, is just a sales pitch. And so we have a tough time often looking at some of the vendor sites and blogs and actually getting tangible takeaways from it. You know, we're oftentimes we're faced with looking at agencies like e-consultancy and pull content because vendors put out very sales heavy information that might be very heavily edited, but also just not very worthwhile to share with our mm-hmm. listeners. But Crazy Egg actually broke from the pack this week and had an interesting blog post that talked about sometimes there are some very established, I would say, best tips in our industry, you know, things like you need to show the trust seals, you need to show if you have a secure connection, always show the lock screens. And if you have videos, those are way better than everything else. You definitely need to show them. But they have some very good case studies that walk you through. Sometimes that might not necessarily be the case. And and really what it boils down to is sometimes businesses need to find the best fit for them. And oftentimes our industry is ripe with 10 best tips and the five best ways to have your add to cart button and things like that. Those are good places to start, but you do need to find what is the best fit for your company. And oftentimes what you find is generally accepted best practices might, you know, maybe the tides have changed. We talked about earlier that, you know, week to week things are mixing up in the online world, but our users also change. You know, now we have to deal with mobile and tablets, and that brings in a whole different crowd and, and considerations to be had. So be careful with trusting, I would say, boilerplate, template. These are always best things to do on your site because oftentimes that cannot be the case. We're going to tweet out the link. The title of this article, if you want to search for it, we're going to tweet it out later in the week. Why conversion optimization may be a waste of your time. This is at blog.crazyegg.com challenges us as marketers we cannot always just trust all the white papers and the boilerplate templates like i was talking about these are always the best things to do on your site because potentially for you that's not necessarily the case so that's going to do it for us on episode number 64 thank you so much for your time we enjoyed ourselves hopefully you did as well if you did share with a friend a colleague a lover, as Rob talked about earlier. If you have a suggestion for this show or something for us to potentially talk about, you can either call us at 904-270-9603. Rob waits by the phone day and night. Absolutely. Or you can reach us at the website, thebeardmarketers.com and drop us a line there. Usually we get to requests by the next podcast or two. So if you reach out to us, do know that we actually pay attention to that and we work it into the show. Again, thank you so much for your time. And we'll see you next episode. Gio. Gio.